this week's parsha is Parshas Vayera. And of course, the highlight of this parsha, and perhaps the highlight of the entire Sefer of Bereshus, perhaps even the highlight of the entire Torah, is the Akedah. The Akedah is, I think, uh, an episode that most, if not all of us, look at as a, as a very emotional Kriya. And there's so much to be taken from this seminal event in Jewish history. We know that the Akedah was the climax of the Asar Nesianis, the ten tests that Abraham Avinu was subjected to by the Rabbi Shalom to test him. According to Rashi and the Rambam, each with their own separate lists of what exactly were those ten tests, but everybody agrees that the final climactic test was that of the Akedah. In the Mishnah and others, in Parakei, Mishnah Gimel, says, Asar Nisyainais Nisnasa Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was tested in ten different ways, the Ahmad Bikulam. And he was able to pass each and every test with flying colors. Lahidia, and that's to teach us, how beloved was Avram Avinu, how Avram Avinu was so adoringly faithful to the Rabbi Shalom that nothing could stop him from doing the Ratzon Hashem. And Rashi on the Mishnah in Ave says, when describing why the Mishnah uses the word Rashi says he was in he didn't question the Rabbi Shalom's Midais but rather he just did what the Rabbi Shalom asked him to do because that was the intensity of his love. If a person looks through the actual Pashas HaKedah and compares it to this Mishnah in Abbas and the Rashi, there is a major question that begs. And that is that Avraham Avinu brings Yitzchak HaKedah and all of a sudden, just as he's about to shech Yitzchak, a malach comes down in and says, Avram, Avram, and Avram responds, Hineni, and says, Atishlach Yotchalanar, don't touch the lad, the Atas and don't do anything to him, leave him whole, don't do something that's, that's bad to him. Because now I know that you have your Shemayim, you're afraid of Hashem. And you didn't withhold, you didn't refrain from doing whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted you to do. We see clearly in this Pasuk that the Akedah proves Avram Avinu's Midas Hayira. His fear, his awe, his reverence for the Rabbi Shalom. But it does not say 
in the Torah that Avraham Avinu was praised by the Malach for being an Ayev. The Ava is not here. If the Mishnah and others would have said, Laharais Kama Yerasai Lufnei Shavram Avinu, that would have been good. It would have fit very well with the Psukim. But where does the Mishnah get the Chiba, the Ava that Avram Avinu had towards the Rabbani Shalom as evidenced by the Akedah? All we see in the parasha is that Avram Avinu had Yira. We don't see Ava. This is not my question. This is the great Rav Shmuel question. He gives a Teretz. My Teretz is going to really be an elucidation of his. He says it very bekitzer. What we're going to be speaking at today is not really is. I don't want to attribute it falsely to him, but he sort of sets, I think, a lot of the guidelines to what we're saying today. If you look at the continuation of the Akedah, it should have ended there. The truth is that if we were writing a script for a movie of the Akedah, that would be the end. The, as soon as the Malach comes and says that Atasla Mu'uma, you've proven yourself, that should have been when the curtain drops in the end of the Akedah. But we find that there's more to the story that the Torah spends the next few psukim detailing, even though it doesn't necessarily be, seem to be like adding, but maybe it's even anticlimactic. Avraham Avinu, after being willing to sacrifice his son and being stopped from doing so, he lifts up his eyes and he sees in an ayah was caught in the thicket in a brush in, in, in some bush by the horns. Avraham Avinu goes, takes the ayah and brings it as an ayah in lieu of his son. And Avraham calls the name of this place Hashem Yireh, this is where Hashem appears. Now a malach comes down to Avraham Avinu a second time and starts saying the following, I swear, so says Hashem, because you have done this, and you did not hold back your son who you love, I will bless you and I will be like the stars in the heaven and like the sand on the beach and your, your inheritance, your inheritors will inherit the gateways of their enemies a lot of brachas are being heaped upon Abraham Avinu by the Malach, brachas that we didn't find originally, which itself needs a lot of explanation. After Abraham Avinu was willing to sacrifice his son, he gets a bracha that, I see that you have Yerushalayim. Now he brings an ayah, which is a nice thing to do, and the Malach comes down and starts giving him a whole, you know, real bracha, without mentioning anything about Yira, but another whole, excuse me, a whole other slew of brachas that are much greater than the first bracha that the Malach gave him. What I'd like to suggest is 
that these two brachas of the Malach represent the two different layers that a person experiences when he's tested by the Rabbi When a person goes through a crisis, when a person is faced with a lot of turmoil in his life, there are two things that he's really being tested by the Rabbi Nishalem about. The first thing is, how are you going to continue to act? If, let's say, a person is very sick, or he has a lot of problems finding a shidduch, or he has shalom bayis problems after he's married, or he has parnasa problems, or he has social issues, he has psychological, whatever it may be, there's so many nisyanis that people are tested by on a daily basis. Now, when you're tested, you have to see if you could do two things. The first thing is, can you carry out your daily mycin to be a yid? I have so many problems. I have a major thing on my head weighing me down. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is challenging me in a way that I've never been challenged before. I'm in crisis mode. I don't know what to do. What do I do? Am I still able to function as a Shemitah Mitzvah? Do I still keep Shabbos? Do I still put up my tillin? Do I still daven? Do I still act in the normal way? Are my mice in the same? Very often people, when they're faced with a lot of problems, the first thing to go is they're mice in. I don't want to do it anymore. If God does this to me, I'm not going to do anything back to him. That's one level. But then there's a deeper level of passing in Isayim, that you could continue doing your Maisim. You can continue being a superficial Yid. Not a superficial Yid. You could continue being a Yid. You can go and do everything that you did before the Nisayim hit and act the same exact way. But deep down inside, how are you feeling? Do you still have that same level of belief in the Rabbi Nishalim. Meaning, I'm putting on my tefillin, I'm keeping shadows, I'm doing everything in an active way. Traditionally, I'm doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing. But deep down inside, am I questioning God? Am I saying to God, why would you do this? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. And now look at what life is, being, is becoming for me. It's impossible for me to live. Why me? I'm doing whatever you want me to do, but I'm questioning the very basis of my relationship with you. I don't know how I can continue really believing and loving and being close to you because, look, I, I, I have questions. I don't understand. The first level of Nisayan, do you continue doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Yid? If you do, if you're able to pass that test of continuing doing what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do, as described in Shulchan Aruch, 
you're doing that, but it doesn't prove anything about your love for Hashem. All it is is maybe just a function of Urim. You know why I'm continuing keeping Shabbos? Because I'm afraid that if I don't keep Shabbos, you know, I'm going to get Nainish for that. Or if I do certain things, if I go and act out on my, you know, on my, on my, on my Nisayan, and I start acting in a way that's not becoming to me, if I start doing Averis, I would stop doing that. I wouldn't do Averis, but that's just because I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid. I don't want to get Einish. I don't want to get Gehenim. I want to just, you know, do it. I want to cover my bases. And that's what I'm doing. But that's just a function of, of Yira. The second, more deeper question about what you feel inside, how you relate now to the Rebbeinu Shalom when you are drowning in this Isaiah, when you have these issues, how do you feel Bechadre Aleid? Do you still feel pure with the Rebbeinu Shalom and accepting? Or do you question? And do you start not understanding and maybe acting out in an inside way against the Rebbeinu Shalom and being angry that's a second Nisayan. That's a deeper Nisayan. That's a Nisayan that if you're able to pass that Nisayan, that's a function of Ava. Yira will only make me do a, do a Maisa. But the way I believe, the way I think, the way I feel towards God inside of my heart, if I still am able to maintain that love like I did before this Nisayan struck, that means that I have a love for the Rabbi Nisham. That means that I don't question because I know that Akadosh Baruch Hu deeply cares about me and I'm able to understand that if this is what he brings upon me, I know that he loves me and I know that it's for the best. Those are two phases of a Nisayan. Every Nisayan has this. Whenever we're being tested, we're being tested in terms of our Nisan, but deeper than that, we're being tested in terms of our belief and our feelings. And both of them are critical to pass. But there are two stages of every Nisayan. <clears throat> we know the Mishnah and Brachas tells us that Darshaning the Pasuk of Yahatas Hashem Lekecha you have to love Hashem. What is ma'idecha? Simply put, it means money. You have to love Hashem with all your money. But in the Mishnah, it's brought a different shot. That ma'idecha is midah. Whether it's a good tiding that you're given, or a bad tiding, whether you're being given a great life, or a lousy life, Whatever it is, a person, if he loves Hashem, has to respond with love back to the Rabbi Nishayim. No matter what he puts at me, if things are great, of course I have to thank Hashem and be filled with love. But I have to love Hashem even if things are bad. Even when we are in turmoil, even when things are not going the way it was planned. We still have to love Hashem. Loving Hashem is the way that we're able to 
Come to an understanding of why things are bad. Come to an understanding of why Tzadik Veralai rushed to the Tzadik All of the blazing philosophical questions that people have been pondering from time immemorial. Why is it that I'm such a good guy and such bad stuff is happening to me? Why is it that I'm suffering? Why is it that I'm poor? Why is it that I'm that I that I that I don't have things that other people have? Why is it that things that come naturally to him doesn't come naturally to me? All of these questions are good questions. But if a person has Abbas Hashem, then that should drown out those questions. Pure Abba would make a person quiet that inquisitive side to him. You wouldn't be able to get angry with the Rabbi because I know that I have reason to believe that he loves me, Hashem, and if he did it to me, it means that there is a purpose for it. And it's ultimately going to be for my best. That's a function of Abba. That's not Yira. This is a much deeper level. When you don't question, when you're not Mahara Acham Yidaisav, that is a function of Abba. It means that you love Hashem so much that you don't question Him. You know, if a person does bad to me, if I have a somebody that I that I know, and I feel that he's really not nice to me, he did something that was disloyal to me. He acted in a way that was I didn't expect, and it was like a slap in the face to me. So automatically, I could start becoming very angry with him and I could not talk to him, I could cut him out of my circle of friends. That's sort of natural. But if a person has a loving relationship, let's say with his father, and his father does something that seems to be not right, I'm not happy that my father did that to me. I don't know why he did that. Why would he do that? He's my father. And you're about to get angry, but then you understand that, wait a minute, my father loves me, my father does everything for me, he gives me everything that I have, he was great to me since I was born. If he did that to me, that's not a punishment. I know that he loves me, I know that he cares about me, and if he gave me this, and he challenged me, I'm sure that he did it because he had a good reason. I might not understand the reason, but he's my father and I, I accept it. And I accept it without question because somebody that loves me did that to me. Ava will be able to get a person through crisis with their faith intact without having doubts in whether or not the Rabbi Hashem loves me or not. I know that he loves me. Ava is able to take care and to silence the doubt inside of us. How do we really get to that level? How is a person able? We are, think we all have challenges. I think it's fair to say that every human being has things that they personally are challenged by. Nobody in the room might know, looking at another person, you know, that he has those challenges. I find all the time, you know, I, you know, the first day of this man, and you know, you see a whole nice group of boys that are coming into yeshiva and you say, you know, and you're able to sort of look at certain boys and say, wow, this guy looks like he's really, you know, he's put together, he has it all, you know, everything is going well for him and, you know, he has a nice family, it seems, and he's, 
And then, you know, and then you start beginning to have some talks with him, and you realize that what you thought was, you know, a perfect package, there's a lot of problems. And everybody is like this. There's nobody that you look at, you know, and that automatically you assume, oh, this guy hasn't made, I wish I was him. You don't wish you were him. Because if you look a little closer, you'll see that there's things that you had no idea about that he is plagued by, that he is challenged by, and everybody has challenges. So how do we get through those challenges? How are we able to look at Hashem and have a pure heart towards Him, understanding that everything that He's doing is for the good, in a practical sense? Practically, how do we do it? How do we get through life, basically, with all the many things that we're lacking and all of the issues that we have? How are we able to do it with Abba? So the Chavetz Chaim was once asked this question, and the Chavetz Chaim said the following. He gave a mushal. He says a person was a stranger who came into a town that he knew nothing about. Let's say he went for Shabbos, you know, to Yehopet, some small town in the middle of nowhere. He literally did not know a soul. And he davens in the shul, and he's looking you know, during Kriya Satira, and the Gabbai is calling up people for Aliyah. And for Kayin, he calls somebody from this part of the shul, and for Levi, somebody from that part of the shul, and Yisrael was there, and Kamishi, Ravi, all over, like scattered in a random way. And after davening, this new fellow goes over to the Gabbai and says, I don't know what you're doing over here, but obviously you're doing something wrong. So the Gabbai says, well, what do you mean? He says, I noticed that you were calling up people for Elias, but like there was no order. You know, you're obviously not a yekka, because, you know, if you were a yekka, you would take every Shabbos, take like one, one pew of people, and you call up, you know, Kayin, Levi, Yisrael, whatever, go down the line, and that's, that's this Shabbos. Next Shabbos, we'll do it next. What are you calling up this guy? It makes it so confusing. I don't understand what you're doing. And the Gabbai looks at this guy and says, buddy, you don't know anything about the shul. This is your first Shabbos here. You don't know a single person in the shul. You don't know anything about their lives. And you're already like judging me as if like I got it all wrong. But let me explain to you. The reason why I called up this guy for Shlishi was because he has yard site for his mother today. And you know the reason why I called up that guy over there for a V? Because he just came back from Eretz Yisrael. And that guy, that got Shishi, he has, uh, it's his Bar Mitzvah Parashah. And the guy that has Maftir, he's a Chassan. And we gave him that Torah because he's a Chassan. Now you don't know that because you don't know any of the players. You don't know any of the actors on the stage. But as a Gabbai, and I've been here long enough, I know everybody in the room and I know who to give the alias to and why, and who not to give alias to and why. And you have no right being critical because you don't know anything about this shul. And the Chavetz Chaim says that that's exactly the mistake that we all make. We come into this world, there's been a world that, that existed 5,700 and change years ago. It's an old world. It's not a new world. The world was not created the day that we were born, believe it or not. 
There was a world that existed thousands of years before we were created. And there's a, this is the same world that will exist many, many centuries after we die. And we come into this world whenever we're born, and we start seeing things you know, unfolding before our eyes, and we don't understand it. We don't understand why we weren't blessed with this, and why that person is sick with that, and why there's a war over there, and why people have a plague over there. Why are there people that suffer physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, financially, spiritually? We don't understand it. And we start questioning God. I don't understand. What's God thinking? How can he do that? What is he, is, you know, I thought he was a good God. Why is he acting as, a, you know, bad? And the Chavetz Chaim says, you don't have the right to ask that because you're too new here. You don't know the whole system. You don't know the background. You're not privy to all the details of the thousands of years that preceded you. And you don't understand how everything that happens is with an exact question. And Akhrish is perfect. Sadik the whatever he does is with perfect justice and righteousness. There's nothing that happens randomly. It seems to you that things are happening in a random fashion. It's not true. There are old cheshpainis from the beginning of the world that scores that have to be settled. If a person loses all his money, it might be because he's a gilgal of somebody who didn't act appropriately with his money and now this is his einish. If a person, you know, is, is robbed by somebody else or is, is, you know, I lose my money to you, it might be because generations previously a Gilgal, you know, lost money to the other person. So now it has to be returned. V'chahena, v'chahena. Einshim, Yisurim, they come to help us. It's hard for us to understand that, but maybe our neshama needs that tikkun of the suffering that we have. There are cheshvenes that are beyond our understanding, but we have to know that the Gabe knows what he's talking about. The Gabbai has a cheshven. We might not understand the cheshven, but the Gabbai Shalom does. And when the Rabbi Shalom is meeting out good for him and bad for him, it's not because there is randomness in the Bria. It's not because there is an uncaring and unloving God in the Bria. It's just that we don't understand it because we're new here. But if we would really understand all of the cheshvenes from the beginning of the Universe, we'd understand how good Akhirish Baruch Hu is. We're just coming too late and leaving too early, and we don't we don't understand the whole production. So Ava really is a function of being able to understand that Akhirish Baruch Hu runs the world with a cheshbon, and he means everything that he does for the good. It's all for the good. Everything, whatever happens to us in life, even if it seems unbearable. It's for the good. If a person suffers, Chazal tell us that you should be overjoyed when you have Yisurim. Now go tell a guy in a hospital, you know, with, with tubes sticking in every part of his anatomy that he should be happy, you know, with the situation. Obviously we wouldn't tell somebody that because it's not appropriate. But that person should understand himself without somebody telling him that. That person has to understand himself if he's ever Khalila in that matrav, 
that this is the most precious gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me. Because through these Yisurim, all of my Averis are being cleansed. So I don't have to go to Elam Abba with a whole you know, pile of millions of Averis on my Cheshvah. I come up spot clean. Spotless. It's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me that he's doing this. not because the Rebbein Shalom hates me. But again, this is something that you have to know is from the beginning of the world, there's a cheshven for everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu started this cheshven years ago, thousands of years ago. And now we're just playing out our role in whatever way it happens, but you have to believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a cheshven, and that comes only through loving HaKadosh Baruch Hu enough to understand that he is good, and he's righteous, and whatever he does is just. Well, let's go back and examine the Parshas HaKedah now that we have this Hakdama. Avram Avinu goes and he brings his son on the Akedah and he's about to Shechem. That's a Maisa. The act of Shechita is a Maisa. It's the actions that we go through, those technical act- actions that a person does when faced with an Akedah that's Avram Avinu shechting his son, lifting that Mahachalas to shecht his son. He passed that test, the test of going through the mechanical deeds of our life as a Yid, as somebody that's a Shemitah Mitzvah. That's amazing. That Avram Avinu passed. And that the Malach comes to him and says, Al-Tishach Yatchalanah, don't touch that. You passed the test, the test is over. You did what you were supposed to. You didn't hold back from doing what I wanted you to do. From this we see that you have Yerushalayim. You're afraid of God. You fear God, so you wanted to do the activities that God expects you to do. You passed that test of Yerah. But there's more to a test than just Yerah, as we've said. There's also the deeper test. Do you love God? Loving God, that you have to take a stethoscope, a spiritual stethoscope to a person's heart and to a person's mind and see what he's thinking and see if he's understanding that whatever you are put through is for your good. It's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. He's a father that cares about you. He would never want you to be in any way hurt or suffering if it wasn't for your own good. That's a deeper Nisayan. That test was still not completed. Avram Avinu, after the Malach tells him that you passed this test, he lifts his eyes and he sees an ayah. This ram was stuck in the thicket. Nech has the kind of confusion. A person gets confused when he's in an Isayim. I don't know internally what to think anymore. I want to be a Shemitah Mitzvah. I want to serve you, the Rabbi Nishalom. But I don't know. It's like, what's going on over here? Why am I suffering? I can't take it. I can't deal with it. I'm not sure what to make of our relationship at this point. I thought you loved me. He saw an ayah that was confused, that it was basvach. Svach means like a Lashma Misubach. There was confusion. 
But he saw the Ayo. What is an Ayo? Rashi says this wasn't an ordinary ram that just happened to have been caught in the brush. Vihine Ayo, Rashi says, Muchan Hayelakach Misheshes Yimeberishes. This is an old Ayo. This is an Ayo from the beginning of time. The Mishnah in Pirkei says that it was one of the things that were created Erev Shabbos Ben Hashemashes of Sheshem Ebrashes with the Eli Shal Avram. It's interesting. The Mishnah doesn't say Eli Shal Yitzchak. Normally we speak about the Eli Shal Yitzchak. The Mishnah there speaks about Eli Shal Avram. Same Ayo. But this was Avram's Ayo. Avram Avinu saw this Ayo that was from Sheshes Ebrashes. And he was able to untangle everything with the knowledge that there was something before I was born. Whatever is happening in my life, whatever Nisayan I'm put to, the Rabbi Shalom is an ancient one. The Rabbi Shalom is a Gabbai that knows everything way before. And whatever I'm being put through, I have to be macabre without any questions, with love, because I don't know things from the beginning of time. The Rebbein Shalom is the Ein Saif, he's the Kol Yachal. If he says that this is what I have to do, then I'm the Kabbal without any questions. I can ask questions, it's confusing, I don't understand, but Avraham Avinu, the Mail of Avraham Avinu at this point, after the Akedah was, not only did he do the physical mice of the Akedah, but he also, in his mind, was fine with it. He didn't question the Rebbein Shalom ever. He understood that there is a cheshven that pre-existed my existence. And I'm the cabal everything Ba'avim. You know, there's a medrash on that word after the malach comes down a second time. And now there's no mention anymore of Yira. This is the bracha of Ava. Now the malach is blessing Avraham Avinu because Yira is like a low level relative to Abba. Yeah, you did the Maisakeda. That was not yet the climax of the story. That just proved that you have Yira. We're all afraid. We're putting on filler and we're keeping Shabbos because, because at a minimum, we fear Aishim. We want to make sure not to mess up our lives in terms of getting into Ayam Abba and living a proper life in this world. That just proves Yira. After the next stage, when Avraham Avinu shows, I want to do more for you, and I'm not going to question, I see the aisle, and I realize that it's an aisle from Sheish Mebrashis, that things have been happening from Sheish Mebrashis, and this is why you're doing whatever you're doing, and I don't claim to understand it, because it's way beyond my level of comprehension. It's older than I am. It's bigger than I am. At that point... There was a greater bracha that was given to Avraham Avinu by the Malach because now you really pass the test. The test is not just Yira, but it's Ava. Do you question me or not? As Rashi says in the Mishnah Naves when it says that the ten tests proved the Chiba of Avraham Avinu, what did Rashi say? He had so much love that he did what? didn't say that he shafted Yitzchak, that he did... He did the Akedah, that he fulfilled all the ten Nisyanas. 
What it means is, so I hear Achimidei Avram Avinu never questioned God. That's the proof of Yira, of Avram. Avram is proven by not questioning, by not having questions linger about why God is doing this to me. That's not for us to know. We don't know. It's an old, old situation that's way beyond and before we were ever even born. And there's a medrash on the words that the Malach says the second time. I swear, says Hashem, that I will bless you, etc., because you did what you did. Listen to the Russian of the Medrash. What's the Shvua? Why is Hashem taking a Shvua all of a sudden? So listen to this Medrash. Avram Avinu stood with davening in front of Hashem and he said at this point, It's revealed to you when you told me take your son and shecht him. I had what to say to you. I could have answered you something. I could have given a response to that request. I had something in my heart that really, you know, I could have gotten off my chest at that point. What? Yesterday you told me that Yitzchak was going to be my future, my legacy, my dynasty is going to be through Yitzchak. The action of it's a stira. I don't understand. Are you telling me that Yitzchak is the is my successor? He's going to be the future of Pal Yisrael? That was yesterday, and now all of a sudden it's like an Indian giver. Now after you're taking him back, I have to shaft him. I don't understand. What are you doing? Avraham Avinu says, I could have asked that. I could have asked that. And I didn't. I didn't ask a thing. I'm not asking anything, says Avraham Avinu Tashem at this point. But Avraham Avinu continues and says, the same way that I could have asked, but I didn't. I was kaivish my yetzer to ask anything. I just accepted it. He says, so too, there will be a day when my descendants are going to be doing Averis and my Simran, bad things. At that point, you're going to want to destroy them. But remember what I did for you. I didn't ask anything. I just did blindly without any questions. So too I want you also to not do, not ask, how are you doing this? What are you doing? How could this be? Get off of your Kisei Hadin and sit down on your Kisei HaRachamim. This is the Medrash. And it's Dafka here. That in the schutz of the Akedah, I won't do what I naturally want to do to call you so. I'm going to get angry with them, but I'm going to not question. I'm going to stop and mitaych my ava, I'm going to let it go. Just like mitaych your ava, you let it go. This is something, this is the second wave of the Akedah. This is the climax of the Akedah. This is when Avraham Avinu says to HaKadosh not only did I do what you wanted, but I thought what you wanted. Not only was I able to go through the physical action of Akedah Sitzchak, 
but I didn't question at all. My, my heart was also willing to sacrifice for you with my silence. And that's really the ultimate tzchus ha'akedah. When we ask constantly, like on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that the tzchus of the ha'akedah should be with us, it's not the ha'akedah's Yitzchak itself. That never even happened. It's the deeper ha'akedah. It's the love that Avraham Avinu displayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in spite of being in the deepest Nisayin in his life. He, in his heart, never questioned. He had pure love for Hashem, and that was able to drown out any voices of question. That's this Chos that we have till today. That when we are sinning, and when we are doing all the wrong things, and HaKadosh Baruch has questions to ask of us, he won't. Be nishpatinam Hashem, he a lot of times lets things go, because that's the Chos HaRamadinu. He has so much love for us that when he sees things bad, he glosses over them right away and says, but I love them. As a father to a child, you know, a child could sin terribly to his father, but a father ultimately loves his child and loves his child in such a deep, natural way that the questions do not cause any breach in the other. You know, there are people that went through the deepest of Nisyanis, the darkest of Nisyanis. In the Holocaust, there were so many survivors, and not so many, I mean, most of the people were not survivors, but there were many people that did survive. And people that came out of the Shiva Madura Gehenim if you study what happened to them, different people had different reactions. Some people, they left the concentration camps when they were liberated, and they never, ever again wanted to talk to God. Never. I'm not talking to you. I'm mad at you. Never again will I put on tefillin. Never Shabbos. Never Yantav. I don't want any part. That was the world that I used to do before the Holocaust. I saw a different side of you. I'm finished. That's one part of Klai Yisrael, and we know that's, that was a very, that was like the natural reaction. That was the natural reaction. And many people completely lost everything because their anger towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so great that they didn't want to have anything to do with Yiddishkeit. There were other people that they continued going about their life as Jews as they did before the war, but they always had questions. And that's okay also. It's human to have questions, and it doesn't mean that you're not a Jew in any which way. It just means that you're holding on a madrig of Yira and not of Ava. They question, I don't understand why God did this to me. I don't understand why I lost my wife, my family, my community. I have no idea. And I do have a lot of questions. When I get up to Shema, I'm going to ask them to God, but... I'm still a Yid, this is what God expects, and I'm going to do the activities of a Yid. But in my mind, I still do have a lot of lingering questions. That's the in-between reaction, and again, we are not in any position to judge, to cast judgment on anybody. Even the first column is beyond our, our ability to criticize, because until you've been 
through Gehenim. You can't at all understand what it is. And it's easy for us on a Friday morning in Queens, New York, 2015, you know, to, you know, when we have it so good, you know, to start saying exactly how people have to react. But obviously it's, it's way beyond our cheshbonus at all to judge anybody. We have to believe that we would be able to go through it had we been in that Nisayin in the best way possible, but we can't understand what these people went through. But it's undeniable that there were a third type of people that left the concentration camps, not only continuing doing the Abedas Hashem, but they did it so purely. And they never asked a single question about the Rabbi Nishalem on Hagra during those dark years. They didn't say the Rabbi Nishalem forgot about us. They didn't question whether the Rabbi Nishalem even was there at the time. They believed that there was a love that brought HaKadosh Baruch to do what he did to Klai Yisrael during that time, without any reasons. We don't understand it. We're not here long enough to get it. We don't have Rach HaKadosh to really have that answer that everybody wants. Why? How? But we're Makabalit with Abba. The great Kleisenberger Rebbe, who is my personal hero, and he should be yours as well. If you read, the more you read about the Pleisenberger Rebbe and the stories that's told about him in the camps and after the camps, what he did, he was a hero. We want to talk about a hero. There was no bigger hero during that scoop than the Pleisenberger Rebbe. He lost his wife. He lost his 11 children. All of them were killed. And he, after the war, came out and with all of his strength and with all of his love, he remarried, he had a new family, he built up a chasidus called the Stams Kleisenberg Chasidim. He has a community here in America, in Union City, that's the main hub of the Chasidim here. Then he went after that to Israel, primarily to Netanya, where he built a huge community and he built a very famous hospital called the Laniato Hospital, very high state-of-the-art hospital. He collected all the money for it. It's like the, one of the major hospitals in there to sell. All of this was done by him. Most people, after losing their wives and 11 children, would have said, I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to get remarried. I don't know what God did to me. This life is not for me. I'm not happy being a Jew. I'm not, you know, I don't know why I had to suffer and it's crazy. He went out and he decided to roll up his sleeves and rebuild from the ashes the most beautiful world that he could possibly build. And he was once by a bris and he spoke years after the war. And we know that you say as a baby is, you know, undergoing the process of a bris milah, one of the things that's said in the Nusach HaTfilah is, we say it in the Haggad also. And, and it said, by your blood you shall live, by your blood you shall live. Which means that a Yid always lives with his blood. We just have to look at the pictures of what's going on there at Yisrael. How much blood have we seen if you're looking at the graphic pictures? How much blood has been spilled in the streets of Yerushalayim? And the streets of all over Eretz Yisrael, 
from the north to the south with this vicious new wave of, of Bnei Yishmael. Our blood is constantly being spilt. This is just the latest chapter. But there were antifadas before this one, two of them, and there was pogroms, and there was Cossacks, and there was Inquisitions, and there was Holocausts, and there was Chlobin Beis Blood has constantly been spilled. That's just the way of life of a Jew. We're, you know, fortunate to live in these times that we're a little, a little sheltered, sheltered, and a little not so familiar with seeing Jewish blood spilled. But in history, it's quite common. Jewish history, world history, is soaked by Jewish blood. But the Mayachai is an unmistakable fact of life that Jewish blood is always cheap in the eyes of the nations. And we've always been hunted and murdered and killed. But the Kleisenberger has said, I have another pshadim, the Mayachai, that in your blood you shall live. The Damayach doesn't only mean blood. Dam means blood, but there's also another type of, of, of definition of the word dam, dalad mem, as in Vayida and Aaron. Aaron was quiet. Aaron was silent when his two sons died on the happiest day of human history, on Machamas HaMishon. It was a great yanta for Klai Yisrael. Aaron HaKayin was the new Kayin Gadol. It was the greatest day of his life. It was his inaugural day. This was the day of his pomp and circumstance. And not only him, but all of his family were going to be the Kayhanim to serve in the Beis HaMikdash. And all of a sudden, HaKadosh Baruch Hu strikes down his two sons. His response was, not saying, fine, but I don't understand. Not being upset, not crying. Not screaming, not getting violent. Not being down about it, he was silent, he accepted it with perfect faith. The Klezmer Rebbe says, that's how I got through my life. A normal person would not be able to get through life after seeing and witnessing what I have seen over the last many years. It's impossible. I've endured more suffering than any human being could ever possibly absorb. How do I get through it? Not just get through it, but thrive afterwards? I live with one secret, and that's with my silence. I'm quiet. I don't question. I don't doubt. I just am the purely and simply with the ultimate love of the Rabbi Nishayim. That's something that he had from Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu was the person that gave him, in his genes, the ability to not only go through the physical motions of being a Jew after the war, but actually loving the Rabbi Nishayim and being quiet and being silent and seeing the Eli, Shalabam, seeing that there was things before me from Sheshit Mei that I don't understand and it's not right for me to open my mouth to the Gabbai and ask any questions. If the Gabbai did it, he must do it with a cheshman and with love. And that's not only true for people like the Kleisenberger Rebbe who lived through the craziest of Nisayim, but it's true for all of us with our relatively smaller Nisayim. It's not even fair to say small Nisayim because 
to each person, you don't have to go through the word Avani Sayin. If I'm suffering with something, if I'm suffering making ends meet, if I'm suffering with different sicknesses or family problems, crises, if I have a child that's at risk, that for me is the Holocaust. That's, that's a very, very powerful thing in my own life. You don't need to go through the actual Holocaust. You can live through your own personal crises and turmoil, and that's for you and Isaiah. We have to try, try. First of all, we have to try to do the physical mice, and that's itself a tremendous madrega. That when we're going through terrible crises, to continue to learn, to continue to daven, to continue to give tzedakah, to not fall off of the track. But if we could go even deeper than that and really try to fulfill the Rats and Hashem, it would be to do it the simcha and to not have any questions. And to just purely understand that if this is happening to me, there must be a purpose. There must be a reason that Akhrish Prabhu has. And it's all a taiva. Whether I understand it or not, I don't have to understand it. But I have to understand that there's a reason behind it. This is the Saidis Amuna. We're speaking about today, we're not this is not a regular shmuz. This is a shmuz that cuts to the core of who we are and how we get through our lives. And it's not to say that because we're talking about it, it's easy to do. And certainly, as I always give every, you know, very often I give in my own shmuz and a very big disclaimer that I'm not at all, when I'm speaking this way, it's not because I have, you know, been able to master this midah. It's something that we're all working on. We're all works in progress. We're speaking about this together to grow and to try to understand these things together. I want to read you something that I saw a few days ago. Somebody lent me a safer, you know, just to show how everything, nothing happens by accident. Whatever happens is always how Kodesh Baruch running the world. It happens to me very, very often that, you know, I just happen to take a safer off the shelf or somebody says, Rebbe, have you saw the safer? And he, he gives it to me, lends it to me for a few days. And I open it up and it always like speaks to something that I, you know, that I was thinking about or that I was trying to work on in terms of a shmuz or a vad. And that's always the way it works. There's a rabbinic that's that's behind the scenes that's running everything. I saw in a safer that somebody showed me from Rav Shem Hirsch. It's from a safer Chayev. He writes as follows. You have to know that HaKadosh Baruch made us be born in exactly the right moment in history. You shouldn't think, you know what, some people say, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have lived in this time. I should have lived like 200 years ago. You know, by the time of the Vilna Gain, when everything was pure and simple and nice and clean, that's when I should have been. This, is, this world is impossible for me. The Rebbe put us here right now in the Tkufa that we are because he knew that we needed to be here now. To our parents, it wasn't an accident why we were born to our parents. We don't always understand why we were born to our parents. We don't always get our parents. We don't always think that our parents, you know, are the perfect couple to have raised me. But if Hirsch says, you have to, part of Emuna is believing that if HaKadosh gave me these parents, these were the exact parents that I needed to learn from. Whatever it is that you have to learn from them. It's not to say that every parent is a Chaim Tanievsky or is the Chavitz Chaim. But I needed those parents for my purpose in life. I needed them 
or, and I still need them to teach me lessons or teach me how to do something or maybe how to not do something, but I need them. And it wasn't random that they were, that they were given to me as my parents. And the people that you're surrounded by are also not randomly put there. Every person that you have as a chabrusa, as a roommate, as a friend, are all there on purpose. Your abeyim and your teachers that you're learning from, also not random. Your friends to be close with or to maybe not be close with. Also, everything, all the actors on the stage were put there by God for your specific purpose in life. Whatever you need in life, you're equipped to handle with the tools that the Shpachu gave you. If you're a brilliant mind, then you should know that you were put here to use that mind for things that you're going to need in life. If you don't have a brilliant mind, you're saying to God, why did you Why wish you know, my IQ was higher. Why am I not as smart as that guy? Why am I not able to ask the questions in Shir to Rabbi that he asks? Why am I not getting a hundred? Why am I not able to do well on, on this standardized test, on that standardized test, on this midterm, on this final? That guy, it comes too easy. And me, I have to struggle? Why? Zakhtar Hirsch, you have to know that if you're struggling, that itself was by design. HaKadosh Baruch wanted you to struggle with it. It wasn't that he forgot when he was giving out brains to give you one. He gave you the brain that you needed to get through your life in the exact perfect way that you were supposed to get through your life. This is Mamashi Slay that you say this, that we're speaking out today. This is the perfect climate and the perfect environment that you find yourself in today. So that you get to the purpose that you were sent to this world to do. Knowing this, will allow you to embrace HaKadosh Baruch because you know that the tools that God gave you specifically and uniquely is because He loves you and He gave you what you needed. Maybe if He had made you smarter, that wouldn't be good for you because you'd use your, your brains for something that's not what you were intended to be. Sometimes a person's like very smart and he becomes too smart. I know people like that. They become, they're too smart for their own good. They use their brains, but they use it for like a bad purpose. Or they were strong and healthy and they looked in a mirror and they say, hey, you know, like I quoted that Gemara in, in, in the Dharam the other day by the Siam. Now a person is good looking and handsome and he starts thinking, you know, maybe I shouldn't waste my good years in Yeshua. Maybe I should go out and party. So, Maybe the reason, if you're not so good-looking and you're not so, you know, built in, in a perfect way, maybe it's because had you done that, it wouldn't have been good for you. I wish I had had, you know, more money. Really? You want to be a millionaire? How do you know that if you were a millionaire, a billionaire, that you'd still be from today? Maybe you'd go and start, you know, buying yourself a sports car and doing all types of crazy things. Maybe the reason why you have no money is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually knows you and loves you, and it's not a punishment that you don't have that much money, it's a blessing. That we don't know this because we're here for a few days, 
you know, relative to the, you know, millenniums of, of creation. But if you really understand that there is a world that HaKadosh Baruch created, like Avraham Avinu, Chazal tells us, Rashi brings on the word Bibaram, Eilat Oldes HaShemayim Baretz Bibaram, the heaven and the earth when they were created, you know what Rashi says? Bibaram is Isis what? Avram. Avram understands that there was a creator and that whatever happens in life is because HaKadosh Baruch has a design exactly for each and every one of us. As every leaf and every ant and every bird and every mountain was done exactly in the right way, we are also designed in exactly the right way with a perfect question. We just don't know what it is. But never should we question God. We have to be makabal of the simcha, of the abba, of the ratzim. These are things that we have to think about. A person once came to the Chavetz Chaim and asked the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim asked him, "New how's things going? You know, whenever you, you meet another Jew, you ask, you know, what, how, how are you? How's it going? And this person, you know, was a year that was struggling with Parnassah and other things, and he says, it's Kenzine Besser. Rather, it could be a lot better. Things could be better. He thought he was saying like a nice thing. You know, he didn't start complaining. Just it could be better. And the Chavetz Chaim did not like that response at all. And he starts screaming at this guy. He says, what do you mean it could be better? He says, that's Kira. He says, if it could be better, it would be better. And if it's not better, it's a simon. That, that's not better. Whatever matzah we're in is the best matzah that we could possibly be in. It's a hard thing for us to fathom. You know why? Because we're busy looking at everybody else. And we compare ourselves to other people. And so if I'm not driving as fancy a car as you're driving, that means that I'm deprived. And if I'm not as smart as you are, and I'm not getting the same grades as you are, and I didn't get into the same graduate program as you did, it's a simon that I'm not happy. It's a simon that God doesn't like me. And that I'm being punished. You know what? If you were supposed to have gotten into that graduate school... And if you were supposed to have driven that sports car, and if you were supposed to be making a very, you know, big business deal, that would have happened. And if HaKadosh Baruch didn't make it happen, it's a simon that it's not good for you for it to happen. And you should accept that with love. just want to end with one nice thought. I said it over by the Yitzim and Asukah. I don't know how many of you were there, but it was a, uh, it's a very powerful nice that there was a, um, a Pashta couple, very simple people, not fancy, not rich, not big coming to Chachamim, very pure, simple Jews, the way they used to make them in the olden days. And one of the parents died. Old people, maybe survivors, and somebody came to Menachem Avot and saw, you know, the whole line of children sitting in the room, being, you know, sitting shiva. And each of these people that were sitting shiva, the sons of this couple, were huge. Not physically huge, but spiritually huge. One was a big Rashi Shiva, and one was a big uh, Rav, and one was a big Paisik, and one was a very, you know, a very, very prominent Aspen. Like, they created huge people. Great Gedalim came out of this couple. And this person who came to visit didn't understand that. Like normally you expect, you know, if you go to Menachem Abel, you know, by a very prominent Rashiva, and, you know, the kids are all, that's expected. 
But if a person goes to a simple couple and be Menachem Avel, you don't expect, like, you know, Gedalim to be sitting there by the, by the Shiva call. And so this person asked one of the sons, tell me, and I see that you and all your brothers are like, and your sister, you know, is married to Osofa. What were you drinking in the water here? Like, well, I want to bottle it. I want to bottle the water that your parents were feeding you because, you know, clearly they did something tremendously right. And this person said the most amazing thing I ever read in my life. He said, you know, my parents were simple, but they're maminim to the highest order. And back in those days, there was a Nisayan for people, I think we all have heard about this, when you came to America, it was a very big Nisayan to keep Shabbos. Because there weren't all the laws that we have today, Baruch Hashem, on the books that protect religious freedom and, you know, you don't have to work on Shabbos if you're a Sabbath observer. There, you would work, let's say you got a job Monday morning, you'd work Monday in a factory or in an office, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, everything was good. Good. And Friday, you know, Shabbos, let's say, was getting earlier, Shabbos is 4.30, you have to leave the office at 1.00. So you go over to your boss and you say, listen, I'm sorry, but I have to go home now. When you're just here four days on the job, when you go home, you have to work till seven tonight. I don't know, I can't work till seven. Shabbos. Shabbos, you know, you're, shy. you're one of those. Sorry, here's your pink slip. You know, you're fired. Pink slip is like the, the slip that they would give you when, you're, when, they, when, they, when, they, when they fire you, you get a pink slip. So every week this would happen. Every Arab Shabbos, and this was this person wasn't the only person. Many people went through this, and they were missing it. They had to next Monday find a brand new job because they got fired every Friday. Bosses did not want to keep a person that was Shabbos observant. So this person said, "My father came home with a pink slip, an Arab Shabbos without any. He didn't have like a million dollars in the bank and stocks and bonds, and had nothing. He was mamish living from hand to mouth. He had the chalice on the table, and that's about it." And you'd think that he would be upset and depressed because he got a pink slip and he had no idea how he was going to feed his family next week. But he came home and he made Shabbos, Mole Simcha. He didn't question. He didn't get angry. He didn't have Sveikas and Amuna. He was so happy. He was so happy that he was able to be Meister Nefesh for the Rabbi Shalom. That he was able to pass the Nisayan each and every week with flying colors. That he was an Avram Avinu. And he, on Shabbos, made Kiddush, and he sang Zmiras, and he davened with a heart that was full of Amuna. And then came Sukkot. This was week after week of getting pink slips. And we built a Sukkah. And we didn't have money to go and buy nice Sukkah, to go buy posters of Gedalim, and to buy, you know, hanging different magnetic things, and, and birds, and gourds and fruit and all the things that are brought in Chazal that you're supposed to be putting up in your sukkah. And we came into the sukkah and we saw the impossible. We saw that my father was scotch-taping to the sukkah walls all the pink slips that he got. And he said, this is my nice sukkah. I beautify my sukkah with shoulder of Yisraelim, how happy I am to be able to keep his rock thing. 
That's an Isaiah of Avraham Avinu. That most of us maybe would not be able to even think about accomplishing. But there are Yidin that did. And the son said, is there any doubt? Do you still have any questions how my father was able to raise us the way he did? How we all turned out the way we did? If you see a father like that, that's able to be Meister Nefesh for HaKadosh Baruch Hu without questioning, just with pure Amuna and injecting that into everything that we do. That's how we turned out the way we did. That's the Asar Nesyaynesh and Nesnasa Aveseinu. Avraham Avinu was tested in so many different ways. For Ahmed Bekulam, he was able to be Ayman in every one of the Nesyaynesh Vaidiya Kamachi Basay Shal Avraham Avinu. It shows love. A Nisayin is not just, are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? A Nisayin is, you're not going to do it, but not only are you not going to do it, or, or not only you are going to do it, depending on what the Nisayin is, but you're also not going to question. You're going to do it with love and acceptance, accepting that we live with our silence. And that's the ultimate Nisayin, and that's the ultimate way to live as a Yid, and halavai, halavai, we should be zaychat to having some of that DNA in our genes, which we do have, but bringing it into our actual daily avayda, feeling a love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to serve Him in spite of the odds that are stacked against us sometimes. It's Hashem, we should be zaychat to all of these midas of Avino. These are the parshas that we're supposed to absorb these midas to a certain degree, and we should be zaychat to a wonderful Shabbos. Mr. Shamalad Matsuaka.